And that's what Paul said. He said, what a profound mystery, except I'm talking about what Christian marriage means and what it's pointing to. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I originally picked the book of Ephesians, I did it because I wanted to talk about marriage. Did you know that? And so we've been in this book for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I kind of forgot about marriage because <laughs> I got so wrapped up in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 have just been mind-blowing for me. And, um, and now we get to tie it all into marriage. You know, I, I think a lot of people kind of go, okay, gospel and, and God, and, and um, that's what we do on Sunday morning. And then Monday through Saturday, I, you know, it's real life, like marriage and kids and work and stuff. And what I love about what Paul does is the gospel is everywhere. You guys, you read chapter 5, and he can't stop talking about the gospel. You know what that means? That means that the, the best place to actually work out what the gospel means is in your marriage. If you're a disciple of Christ... The proof of your discipleship is in your marriage. The place where you really think through, okay, what does the gospel mean that Jesus died on the cross? The first place, marriage. Now, okay, before we go into the scriptures, what I want you to do is just turn to someone next to you. And I want you to think of like maybe um, someone you know who doesn't go to church. And I want you just to share what you think they believe the secret sauce to a good, happy marriage is. Okay, would you just do that? I'm just really going to give you 20 seconds because we don't have much time. But just turn to someone next to you and say, what do you think a buddy of yours who doesn't go to church would say is the secret sauce to a good, happy marriage? Go for it. 20 seconds. Go. All right, that was 20 seconds. Um, I, I, this should be kind of shocking what I'm about to say. It should be. Now, I, I would imagine that, okay, I'm thinking of my buddy, and my buddy would probably say, honestly, finding the right person is totally compatible with you is the secret to actually having a great marriage. Paul, I believe, in verse 21 would, would differ. Paul would say, you want to know what the secret to a good, happy marriage is? I think Paul would say it's mutual submission. It's, it's both people dying to themselves, sacrificing themselves to love the other person. Paul would say, I think that is the secret sauce to a beautiful marriage. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he launches into this whole treatise on marriage, uh, 10 verses about marriage. But right before, he gives the key. It's like, this is the secret sauce to every relationship. This is definitely the secret sauce to marriage. It's mutual submission. Now, granted, the guy submits in a different way than the, than the female submits. The guy as head is called to love to the point of death. And the, his partner, his spouse, is supposed to submit and to put him first. But they're both submitting. It's both giving up their life. It's both self-giving, selfless love. 
And that is the secret sauce that Paul is saying to marriage. And I just want to ask you right off the bat, how are you doing in that area? Because I think some people can say, you know, my marriage is good. I'm not so good in the submission part. And Paul is saying, no, this is it. This is the core to a successful marriage. Mutual submission. Okay, we're going to go from verse 21, and we're going to go right into the 10 verses. But before we go into the 10 verses, I have a point to make, before, even before we go into the 10 verses, okay? Now, if you would open your Bibles and look at chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is addressing the household. Basically, if the gospel changes everything, it's going to change whole communities. It's got to start, it's got to be premiered, it's got to be evidenced in the household, right? And so the first relationship that he deals with is what? The relationship of marriage. What's the second relationship he deals with? Look in your Bibles and tell me. The children and parents, number two. And then third, it's what? Servants and masters, okay? Well, let's say boss and, and employee, okay? Now, I think right here, even before we go into these 10 verses, you look outside of these verses, and there is a really uh, poignant point that Paul is making. And Paul is saying that your first order of relationship that takes first priority is your marriage. Now, notice he talks to married couples, and he talks about marriage before he addresses relationships between parents and children, and before he addresses relationships between boss-employee. Implicitly, Paul is saying, look, marriage comes first. Your spouse comes before your kids. Now, I think that point alone is really challenging for us, because I think a lot of us are in the life stage where, it, you know, it's... We're putting our kids first, right? And it's hard not to put our kids first because our kids are so demanding. And if you're not giving them enough attention, they will tell you, right? They will whine and they will cry. They will let you know. As my wife was, was describing it to me, like, you know, during the day and during the evening, we're doing so much for the kids. And then finally, we put them down to bed and we have time for ourselves. And we're thinking like towards each other, you're an adult. You can take care of yourself, right? So it's almost like you want to put the kids to da bed, down to bed and then just yell, everyone fend for yourselves. And what we wind up doing is we give kids so much and then we just give scraps to the spouse and Paul is saying that is not the right ordering of things your first priority in relationships in the house is your spouse first right and then your kids second and then your work third but what even comes before the spouse help me out here God, right? The first three chapters of Ephesians. It's about this amazing sacrifice that Jesus' son made for us and us giving him our undivided allegiance, our first love. And then when we rightly prioritize um, the Lord as number one in our lives and he fills us with our spirit, then it's like God saying, look, look, you got to tend to this relationship as your first priority, your relationship with your spouse, I also want to point out that there are three times as many words to the, to the spouse and to marriage than there are to children and parents. 
So I just want to ask you how you guys doing in this area. I think practically what it looks like for us is that during the day, I know this is what Raina and I have to do, when we're actually tending to the kids, we have to hold back something. Because the kids are demanding so much, we actually have to actively hold back. So it's the park, it's library, it's sports, it's swimming, and like in a given day, we're going to say, okay, we're not going to do all three. I think maybe we'll do one or two, and we will hold back so that when we put the kids to bed, we have more energy for each other. And if we have more energy for each other, then we can rightly prioritize our marriage, have better communication, have better talks. Because sometimes, you know, we're spending everything for the kids, and then when we put the kids down to bed, we just have scraps for each other. We have nothing left to give each other. And here's what a lot of people do. They give everything for the kids. They give everything for the kids. And then one day, the kids go off to college, and they just leave, right? And you're like, it's okay, they'll call. Do they call often enough? They never call often enough, right? So it's like, I gave my whole life for my kids, and then it is left, and we have given scraps to each other for so long that we haven't really built our marriage. We have nothing left, and a lot of marriages fall apart. Maybe the word for you guys, maybe especially for the men, is marriage comes before your work. And if marriage comes before your work, then maybe what you should do is leave work earlier so you can be home earlier. And if you are home earlier, then you can help your spouse with the kids earlier. And if you help your spouse with the kids earlier, then you can have time to yourselves communicating earlier. And that could be a very good practical thing to say, you know, I'm going to rethink my priorities. I'm going to put my marriage first under God, but my first human relationship priority. Okay, let's go into the verse. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to husbands, should submit in everything, to their husbands. Now, let's just admit this passage is, I'm sure that women here, it's like your favorite passage, right? Um, it, it's, it's highly controversial. And so what we're going to do is we are going to put it off and address it next week. Okay? And um, so, you know, in our culture, submission is a, it's a dirty word. We're not going to go into that today, but we're going to unpack it next week. And headship, you know, what does that mean? And fun stuff like that. We're going to go into that next week. Uh, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, there, there's so many things to unpack about these few verses. But I, I don't want us to, to miss the forest for the trees. Paul is addressing husbands here specifically, but this principle is not exclusive just to the husbands. Actually, it, it can be, should be mutually applied. 
but especially, specifically so, to the husbands. And in Paul telling this to the husband, he's telling us something generally about marriage and its function and its purpose and its action. Now let me just say this. Who created marriage? And, you know, a person that's not church would say, well, I don't know, like some ancient person just thought it was a really good idea, right? Some ancient Neanderthal thought this would be a really good idea to, to match him up to and to have a life love and commitment. Who created marriage in the Bible? God. In fact, marriage is the first human, not human, divine institution that God creates. So you could reason that if God created marriage, then God designed it to function in a certain way. Uh, you guys drive cars. What if I bought like a, recently we, we, bought a, we bought a Honda. What if I bought like a, a Honda, it's a minivan, and I said, you know something? I know that the manufacturers and the designers said I should put like gas in it, but I think my car should run on sugar. And what's gonna happen? That car ain't going anywhere, right? It's the same way. If God designed marriage, then he's the one to say, oh, by the way, this car, it runs on mutual submission. <laughs> Don't try to put sugar in it, right? So if God's the one that created marriage, then we have to do marriage his way. Now, what is his way? God says this. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? And, and gave himself up for her. Now, in our day, in our culture, when we talk about marriage, people go, it's, you know, it's 50-50. It's, it's built on compromise. You give 50, they give 50, you meet halfway, you have a good marriage, right? And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not 50-50. It's actually 100-100. You give everything in self-giving, selfless love, everything. And they give everything back to you. And you go, well, how much do I have to give to make this marriage work? And Paul's like, well, you got to give to the point of death. You got to give to the point of sacrifice. You got to give to the point where it hurts and you keep on giving more and more and more and it's long suffering. Okay, so the first question is like, love right? Of course it's love. How much? How far? How deep? And Paul goes, you got to go and give 100% to the point of death. Okay, Paul. And then we ask this, the second question. What's the purpose of marriage? Uh, what's, what's the function? What is marriage supposed to accomplish? What, what, what's the purpose of marriage? Now again, if you ask your buddy who's unchurched, I, I bet you they would say something like, marriage is about completion. Right? It's about, you know, fulfilling my needs. It's about companionship, completion, partnership. It's about mutual happiness, right? Okay, mutual, okay, right, right. But what, what do you think Paul would say? Like judging from these verses, what do you think Paul would say? Paul says this, love as Jesus loved and give up your life for her that you might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, so we have things like sanctify, cleansing, washing, so that we might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be, you guys say the word with me, holy. Holy, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, now, Paul, 
is saying the imagery that Paul is saying is that your spouse, your wife, is one day going to stand before the Lord. You prepare her for that moment. You prepare her to stand before the Lord and to say, God, with my whole life, I've loved you. I've thought through you gospel in every aspect of life. Husbands, that's what God is calling you to do. To prepare your wife to be, what's the word? Holy. So people go, look, I want to be happy. Marriage is about making me happy. And Paul's like, no, it's about making you holy. Holy, holy. You know, people are like, marriage is about making me happy. So when I'm not happy, God wants me to be happy, right? So he wants me out of this marriage because he wants me to be happy. And Paul's like, no, I want you to be holy. I want you to be holy and to prepare the other person for mutual holiness. So what's the point of marriage? What's the function of marriage? It's to love sacrificially for the purpose of mutual holiness. That is the function. That's what marriage is about. Now, um, I, I'm going to read the next few verses, but I'm really going to go back to, the, to the, these three verses um, that, that are addressing the, the, uh, the husband. But th- let me unpack this because there's going to be references to this later on. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay? Those are, those are all great verses. Again, I could spend time unpacking that, but I'm just going to unpack the first three verses that are summarized as love to the point of sacrifice for the purpose of mutual holiness. That's where we go further. So you kind of go, okay, that's the function of marriage. That's what marriage is about. That's the action of marriage. What does that actually look like, Pastor Andrew? And I've, I've thought through four ways that we can make this command and this call to marriage connect with real marriage. Okay? Now, I could spend a lot of time talking about lofty thoughts and theolo- and that's all good. But really, because I love you guys, I want to get more practical. So how does this actually work in my marriage? Okay, four ways. Number one is be right with God first. Number two, be a careful student of your spouse. Number three, give value to what they value. And number four, maybe my favorite, hold your tongue. Okay, let's, let's do number one. Number one. Number one is be right with God first. Now listen, I, I want you to know that I, I talk to a lot of women in our church because I didn't want this just to be like, here are some high thoughts about marriage. I, I wanted to be as real as possible. So I'm talking to, to these wives and saying like, tell me something I don't know, you know? And, and they were very talkative and they shared a lot with me. And so I have some material. Now, I'll say this. I was reading this verse, you know, like husbands, love your wives, uh, just like Christ did. He gave himself up for her to cleanse her and sanctify her just so she can spotless and radiant, holy, prepare her for that, you know. And I'm saying, okay, what do you think? And this is, this is what one wife said to me. She said, she said, Pastor Andrew, I don't think my husband can do that. Like, I don't think he's qualified. 
And I said, why not? And, and she said this. She said, how can he lead me spiritually if he's not right spiritually? Like, how can he really encourage me if he's not really in the word himself? And I looked at this woman and I said, I don't know. <laughs> that is a great point. Now, that's a great point, right? That is a really great point. Because how can you prepare someone to be holy before Jesus when you yourself are not ready or preparing yourself to be holy before Jesus? Or how can you really uh, help your, your spouse make God her first love and to think through the implications of the gospel if you haven't made God your first love and you, you can't do it if you're not living it, right? I'll give you another story. There's, there's one time uh, I, was in, I was in home group um, and we were talking about marriage and it was, really, it was really good and we had all these questions for each other and it's, there was one takeaway question which is like, go back to your wife, go back to your spouse and ask them, what do I do to make you holy? So is there anything I do? And so I remember I was in the bedroom with Reina and we had a, and we put the kids down. We had a moment to really just talk. And I said, you know, it's, it's always uncomfortable to ask that story because it's kind of like, how am I doing as a husband? Give me a grade. You know, it, you know B minus. You know, and for me, B minus is really low. You know, so, but I, I was doing it because that was the homework. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay, okay Reina. Um, is there anything I do to, uh, you know, make you holy, encourage you spiritually? I was really putting myself out there, and she goes, no. <laughs> Just like that. Now, I want you to know, like, remember before I was talking about, like, tiger and, and turtle? My inner crouching tiger was coming out. You know, I'm just like, I got a list of five things that I did in this past season to encourage you spiritually. What are you talking about, right? And so I'm like, like, I'm like thinking about all that. All, I'm making all the list in my mind. Like, okay, okay, I'm going to whip them out. One, one after another. But she goes, and I'll never forget what she said. She just totally disarmed me. She said, no, it's not what you do, but it's who you are. She said, I look at you loving God with your first love, and that inspires me. I feel like I can trust you because I know you do that. Wow! That was, that was so affirming. You know, like for someone to look at your soul and go, that's not all the busy work you do or, you know, your, your, your amazing, you know, lectures on, and stuff. It's just, I see you loving God. And I know that I can trust you. Now this is, come on, I mean, this, how effective will you be in making your spouse holy if you're not holy, right? It just doesn't work. You know, they'll just call you on it. They just go, you're not doing it yourself. And then you have nothing to say. You're like, you're right. But it was a great Bible study, wasn't it? If you want to prepare your wife to be holy, you be holy. If you want to prepare your wife to have God as her first love, then you make God your first love. And that will be... Then you can't just help but prepare and, and, and encourage and, and, be, and be holy. Okay, so word number one. Be right with 
God, oh, okay, this is like a sub-point to number one. It really needs to be said. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, okay, Pastor Andrew, I, I feel like I, I am doing that. You know, I feel like I am loving God, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about the gospel, and, but my wife or my husband has just been kind of lukewarm for a really long time. What do I do? Okay, let me tell you, let me t- just tell you, just, I've been a pastor how many years? Uh, 10 years? Okay. Okay, well, this, this is, please just listen to me. This is really profound. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, some people feel like if I voice out my criticism <laughs> and say, you've been so on the fence and lukewarm for so long that somehow that will change them. And maybe the plan in certain people's minds is like, I'll say it the first time and just kind of, you know, with that, you know, kind of, you know, voice. And then, and if the person doesn't really respond, then I have this really brilliant plan. I will say it again. And then if the person doesn't respond the second time, I have this amazing plan. You got to listen to this. Then I will say it again, but louder. And with a more kind of voice to it. And then if that doesn't work, maybe I'll say it again in front of other people. Okay, please do not think that by criticizing your spouse, that will evoke change. It never works. You know it never works. So what do you do? Number one, you model it. You live it out. Number two, you get on your knees and you pray for your spouse. You, you talk to God more about your spouse than you do to your spouse about your spouse. And I'm saying, when I'm praying, I'm saying, go in your prayer closet, close the door. Don't, like, in, like intentionally, like, pray really loudly. Dear Lord, you know, <laughs> change his heart, you know. Don't do that, you know. But make it to God and say, God, you got to do something for my spouse. You got to do something for him. Life is short. He's going to stand before you. She's going to stand before you. And she will not be prepared to say, Lord, I loved you. I loved you. I gave my life for you. So you pray. Say more to God than you, than you say to your spouse. Because, you know, if you just criticize your spouse, it doesn't work. She or he will get bitter. And then they won't ever want to talk to you about God and stuff like that. It just doesn't work, right? You pray. You pray. Okay. Number two. Number two. Now look in this passage. Does, in this passage, does this, anywhere in this passage does it say that husbands are called to take out the trash? No. Amen. Right? You guys can use that. I said, nowhere in this passage does it say that I have to do that. Right? Okay. How come it doesn't say stuff like that? How come it doesn't say that, oh, husbands, you guys need to do this, and wives, you should do this, and you should, if you do it three times a day, your, your marriage will flourish, and you guys will be singing to each other? How come it doesn't get really practical like that? Why, 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 why? Because this scripture is for every culture, in every generation, no matter what life stage, as long as you're married. Actually, you don't even have to be married to apply this. This is transcultural transgenerational. It works in every time, in every culture. So what you do is you take the principle and you think about your marriage and your spouse and their temperament and your place and this era and you go, how do I apply this in our lives? It's brilliant. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the two things. Love sacrificially. 
Uh, you guys have heard of Gary Smalley's uh, five love languages? You guys have heard that? Basically, the idea here is that not everyone receives or gives loves in the same way. Uh, number one, words of affirmation. Number two, physical touch. Number three, gifts. Number four, service. Number five, quality time. I should have put this in a slide for you guys, but I'm thinking that most of you guys know this. Not every spouse receives or gives love th the same way. So you be a careful student of your spouse. Do you know their love language? Okay, here's the second thing. God's call to husbands and to wives is to prepare each other for holiness. What does your spouse do to prepare you for holiness? Now, here's, you have to be a very careful student of your spouse because not every spouse is motivated the same way. So right now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, would you just give them a long searching look? Yeah, some of you are doing that. Just stare into their soul. And I'm, I'm asking you a question. What do they need to flourish? What does your spouse need to flourish, especially spiritually, but flourish as a person who loves God in multiple dimensions? What, is, what does your spouse need to uh, One time, Rana told me that her greatest need from me was to be considerate. But that's really hard because I'm one of the most inconsiderate people I know. And I'm like, what does it look like for me to be considerate? And she's like, it looks like, and now, it looks like you notice, you look at me, you notice that what my needs are, you notice that I'm cold. You will take off your sweater and you will give it to me. I'm thinking like, well then I will be cold. But no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, so I want you just to know, actually last weekend I did it. Score one for Jesus. You know, I, I did it. I was, I, was, I was at this museum. I said, Raina forgot her jacket. I looked at her. I took off my sweater. and this ugly white t-shirt on. And I wore it so proudly during the museum. Like, yeah, I gave my sweater to my wife because I'm a considerate man of God. You know? But, but listen, not every wife here is going to say, that's what means love to me. But you got, that's what you got to... Okay, here's the thing. I, so I asked this one woman. She said to me, listen, I just wish, it was, it was, it was, I just wish my husband could pay attention to the things I like and the things that I enjoy. And I said, what if he is inconsiderate like I am? What can he do? You know what she said? This is profound. She said, he can ask me. Wow, I never really thought of that before. Really? Wow, yeah. Like, what, some of you just go to the, on the car ride back home. If you would just ask your spouse two questions. Number one, how do you give and receive love? Well, what means love to you? Because I'm, probably it's not your natural way of loving. And that's where it would be a sacrifice. Oh, love your wives as Christ today. Sacrifice. You can, and ask your spouse, what can I do to, to help you love God more? Anything I can do. She might say, be right with God first. She might say, lead us in Bible study. She might say, pray to God. I don't know. But, but it's going to be different for every couple. But what you can do that's so smart, you just ask the question. She said, if my husband would just ask the question and then just write down feverishly whatever I say, that would mean so much to me. You can do that in, within the hour. Be a careful student of your spouse. Be a careful student of your spouse. Okay, number three. How, again, how do I love my spouse to the point of sacrifice? Number three, give value to what the other person values. 
I asked another wife in our church, like, how do you feel loved by your husband? And she said to me, I feel loved by my husband when he values what I value. I said, I'm sorry, are you expecting him to like the same things that you like to actually value them? And she said, no, 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 no. I'm expecting him to give value to those things because he values me. We're not asking the, the wives to actually enjoy football. Right? But to give value to the truth that I enjoy football. Okay, so I said, okay, spell this out for me. This is what she said. I like the house being in order when other people come over. Any, anyone like that? Uh, people will come over and I am cooking, I am cleaning, I'm, I'm cleaning the bathroom because I want them to have a good bathroom experience. You know, I'm, I'm just doing everything around the house just to make it really hospitable. And she goes, and my husband is like not working nearly as hard as I am, very distracted. And then he comes to me, and now I'm really injecting my own story, and just says, you look so stressed out, why don't you just relax? Okay, um, this is from 10 years of marriage experience. Saying to your wife, just relax, never works. Like nine times out of ten, actually the more like 10 times out of 10, you might as well just say, just be annoyed at what I'm saying, and it will have the same effect. Right? Just say, just be annoyed at what I'm saying. It would be the same thing. So, so listen, this is what the husband, the husband's thinking, uh, at least in this case, look, when come, guests come over, you become like Martha Stewart, you know? And you, you just, you get all stressed out. It's not a pleasant experience. If you didn't get us stressed out, it'd be a more pleasant experience, and we actually could host more guests more often. Okay, now she, and I didn't realize this until this person explained it to me. Now I realize it. Um, this is what she said. She said this, the appearance of a house, this is what the wife said, is a reflection on me. If it's sloppy, it means I don't care. It means I'm sloppy. If it's messy, it means I'm thoughtless and inconsiderate and we can't have people thinking that way about us, right? Now the husband's thinking, well, if you care that to an extreme, it's idolatry. But we're not talking about idolatry. We're just talking about a healthy sense of being hospitable and the practical implications of what that looked like. And the guy is thinking, you know, I just want to keep it real. I just want to live in an appropriate amount of filth and let people see that. And she's saying, no, I care what people... So what are we to do? The husband is called to love to the point of sacrifice. To give up himself like Christ did the church. What does that mean? It means I will give value to what she values. I will work really, really hard to clean up that house. I don't really care that the house is clean, but I care about her. So I'm going to be cleaning that house and washing those toilets. And that is a man of God. Can I get an amen somewhere? Okay, the women are excited about this. And you know, it could be, this, this could be a woman of God. Maybe, maybe the, the things are switched, but maybe it's an issue of punctuality. Maybe it's an issue of a hobby. Like your husband has this hobby and it's weird and no one gets it. And why you waste all that time with your hobby. Now, anything to an extreme is idolatry. You should work on that. It's not healthy. But there are things that we enjoy because God created it. And I give value to the way God created him to enjoy things. I make space for that. Think about that. Could that possibly mean what it means to love a person to the point of death? Now... How can I, again, love a person to the point of death for the purpose of holiness? Number four, hold your tongue. That's it. 
Hold your tongue. Actually, there's more. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. How much? No. Okay, none? No. A little bit? No. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Oh, but only such as good for building up as it sees fit that it may give grace to those who hear. So my words are building up. My words are edifying. My words are giving grace instead of tearing down and discouraging and criticizing. Now, this is probably one of the most practical ways that we can love our spouses to the point of death to encourage them spiritually so a friend of mine is driving in the car and her husband's at the wheel and her kids are in the back and the husband makes a wrong turn and everyone in the car knows like the wife knows the kids know except the husband doesn't really know and so he's driving for you know, it seems to be like a long time. And then he says, I think I'm lost. And she goes, I noticed that a while ago. And he says, why didn't you tell me? And he says, and she says, I was thinking about that scripture in Ephesians that said, let no corrupting words come out of your mouth. And all I could do is just hold my tongue. It's all she could do. Now, what do we say to that? That is a really good application of the text, actually, right? You say, no, let crow corrupt in your mouth. I couldn't think of a way to say it encouraging. I just, so I just held my tongue and said nothing at all. Some of us really need to watch the, the words that come out of our mouth. <clears throat> Certainly to our spouse, but especially maybe even when our spouses are not around, like when there's friends, maybe even from the kids. A husband will say, well, you know, I could say that to her, but you know she's just going to yell at me. Ah, that's kind of funny. Implicitly, what is the husband doing? He's saying to the group of friends that my spouse is always angry and irrationally so. Anything can set her off. Is that building up? Is that encouraging? I think a lot of us, it's not just the content, but it's the tone. Okay, now, last week with Steve Torgerson, he was talking about Christian accountability. I felt convicted by that. I've been telling Reina that I need Christian accountability for two years. Have I done much about it? No. Will I do something about it? Yes. I'm talking to her about this. She's, now, she could have said, listen, Andrew, you haven't done that for two years. She could have done that. She could have said, husband, <laughs> you've been actually wanting this for a long time. What can you do now that might be a little bit different? Saying the same thing, right? But it's the tone. Isn't it isn't the tone that means everything? Dude, you went the wrong way. Versus, honey, you made a left turn. Should you have made a right turn? <laughs> right? The tone means so much. Now, I think for a lot of us, we struggle with this. And the root of the problem is that we just don't respect our spouses. So the problem is inside. The problem is inside. The problem is in the heart. What do we do? What do we do? Number one, we've said this before, you pray. Number two, you obey the scriptures. You go, but I don't respect them in my heart. Yeah, but sometimes your words actually speak to the heart. Sometimes your actions actually perpetuate what's inside. You know, um, C.S. Lewis said, 
That, and, you know, Tim Keller actually repeated this, and we've never, Rand, I never forget, forgot this when we repeated it to each other, actually. But at first, the Nazis killed Jews because they hated them. And then, they, they hated them, so they killed them. No, I'm sorry. They killed them because they hated them. They hated them because they killed them. I'm sorry. But you get the point. The point is that you oftentimes we think what's inward flows naturally outward. And the scripture says just don't and speak. And sometimes, a lot of times when you speak the words, the actions and the words actually perpetuate what should be in the heart. Or in other words, you behave your way to a better place. You pray and you obey. You catch your spouse in doing something good and you name it. One last story. Uh, so there was this person that I knew and, you know, kind of critical about their spouse. So uh, they wrote 12 things that they appreciate about the spouse. It was not easy, but they wrote 12 things. And they're like, I'm going to catch my spouse doing one of those 12 things. So... One day he's driving in the car and he does this really amazing maneuver and she goes, honey, you're a really good driver. And then she's telling me this, he just glowed. And then and she didn't remember what it was, but then he said something that was very kind to her and all of a sudden there was a little bit of respect that was kind of... You, you see, action, words actually can perpetuate heart. Pray and then obey the word of God. Okay, I'm running out of time. Um, this is a word for single people who are dating. You're thinking, okay, this series is not for me. Maybe I'll come back when the series is over. When we're not talking about marriage, I would say this is totally for you. If you want to be married, or maybe you're dating, does the person you're dating have these qualities? Will the person you're dating love you to the point of sacrifice? Love you to the point of death. Does the person you're dating, will they prepare you for holiness? I think some of us are like, I don't even know if my spouse will actually, I mean, my future, uh, this dating person will actually love me to the point of I'm not even sure that that love will actually continue on until, until my death or their death. Well, maybe you really should rethink whether you should be dating this person. But maybe you're like, I really actually convinced they will love me to the point of sacrifice. They'll give themselves up for me, but I don't really think they will prepare me for holiness then maybe you should rethink. Because Paul is saying, listen, the essence is love to the point of sacrifice and prepare each other for holiness. Sanctifying, cleansing by the word to be holy and spotless without blemish. Holy. Uh, this is a word for people who are just single in general. Maybe you'll never be married or maybe you want to be married. And I just, I have to say this. I have to say this. this is so important. Listen, my word to the people who are single here is that let's say, hypothetically, you never get married. You need to hear this. Some of you might take issue at me saying this. My bottom line to you is that you will actually not miss out on anything. It sounds very contrary to everything I just said, but I would say you are actually not missing out on anything. Why? Because what is marriage? Marriage is pointing to the ultimate marriage between Jesus and his church. It's a living parable. It's temporary. 
There is no marriage in the next life. Why? Because in the next life, the ultimate marriage will be realized. So what do you need the substitute for when you have the real thing? My point is that if you're single, you're not going to miss anything. Why? You will get the same thing that married people will get. Because marriage is pointing to Jesus and his covenant love with the church. Now, if you're a Christian, you will get that. You will be part of that feast. You will not miss out on that wedding because marriage is pointing out to that. And in fact, our marriages are supposed to be so Christ-like that people will see that and they'll go, oh, that's what's going to happen in the future. That's what Jesus did and is, is doing and is going to do ultimately when he marries his church on that day that he returns. So for you who are single, you're not missing out on a thing. You will get ultimately, what the very thing that marriage is pointing to. So remember, please, the main idea for this message, love. Love, like Jesus did. How did he love? To the point of sacrifice. For what purpose? To make the other person holy. To make you holy. It is, after all, about holiness. It's about holiness. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for this beautiful and amazing scripture. I thank you, Lord, that the gospel is not just relegated to Sunday mornings. And for all those who are married, this is the first place, the first relationship the gospel needs to be applied. Father, I feel like there are are people in this room who've been married for some time and they feel like old habits will never die. I've been married for such and such and there hasn't been change in these areas and I'm not expecting change. Lord, I just want to proclaim that your gospel changes everything, even old habits that will never seem to die. Your power that's working in us is the same power that rose Jesus from the the grave. That's what Paul said in chapter 1. I pray that we would say no, would change from attitudes like, no, I don't think that is going to change, to an attitude like, well, with God's power, anything is possible. Help us, Lord. Now, would you just put a finger on what it is you want us to apply? How can we love like Jesus did and gave himself up for the church? Lord, is there a way? I pray that you would speak to us even individually. Lord, is there a way that we can prepare our spouses for holiness? Because if there's a way, a strategy, we are all ears. Would you speak to us and show us what you would call us to do so we can work out the gospel, so we can be gospel-driven people, so that the gospel will be realized and celebrated in our marriages. Help us to be holy and to make each other holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.